Are you really dead, Jack? What do you think? I think I've lost my mind. I think you're not real. I think you're just another part of a bad dream. You've got to believe me, David. Believe what? That tomorrow night, beneath the full moon, I'll sprout hair and fangs and eat people? Bullshit! Oh, God damn it, David, please believe me. You'll kill and make others like me. I'm not having a nice time here. You've got to take your own life. I will not accept this. Go away. This is not pretend, David. What you're about to see, explain it, explain it, disprove it, we can, we simply invite you to explore with us the amazing world of the unknown. Hey everybody, what's up and happy Halloween. This week I am flying solo. Lobo was unable to make it to this show because he had some family obligations, which is kind of strange and ironic because this week we are covering werewolves. And, well, you have Lobo's name. I know. Go figure. This week we have returning guest Winston Conrad. Winston Conrad is a writer, a cartoonist, a lawyer, a podcaster, player of Dungeons and Dragons, and a world traveler. We had him on the show before. Some of you may recall him being on here to talk about uh, his travels in South Africa and dealing with witch doctors and Muslim magic. I first heard him about a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, on the Almost Educational podcast. I got a hold of Patrick and said, hey, who is this guy? He's really cool. I'd love to talk to him. Patrick put us in touch with one another, and ever since then, we've been talking back and forth through all forms of social media. This year I wanted to cover werewolves for Halloween, and since Winston covered it on that show, I was very impressed with his knowledge base. So I said, hey, why don't you come on here and let's do the show on here? But being that Winston is a lawyer and an attorney, he wanted to cover it from a legal aspect, and I said, hmm, how are we going to cover werewolves in a legal aspect? What we end up doing is talking about a variety of werewolf trials from the early 18th century, I'm sorry, late 18th century and early 19th century. We go into a little bit of a history about some werewolf cases and some of the background of werewolves and that's pretty much it um I hope you guys enjoy it. It was a lot of fun talking with him. Winston seems to enjoy being here. At least he says he enjoys being here. And he did express that he was bummed out that Lobo couldn't make it to this episode. So uh, this will be our, well, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about all that stuff after the interview. And as I like to say, I will see you guys on the other side. Okay, so returning with us is Winston Conrad. You're kind of like this Anthony Bourdain of the esoteric for the most part. You're always, you're this guy that's always drifting all the place. Last time you were on the show, you were talking to us about witch doctors and Muslim witch doctors and Muslim witchcraft. And I, I, you're, you're an attorney. You're also a form of esoteric attorney, for lack of a better term. And you're here with us tonight to talk to us about the history of werewolves and lycanthropy, which I figure to be a great topic to go into around Halloween. Though we do cover this stuff outside of Halloween, I just figured it'd be neat to have you on here to uh, to go over this. So, how have you been, man? 
Uh, I've been great. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a shame Lobo's not here since um, his name means wolf. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. It does. Yeah. I was like, um, I'm doing a show with Winston Conrad. We're, we're going to record a little bit early for Halloween. Can you make it? And he's like, I can't, but it's a show on werewolves. So I can't. <laughs> he was all frustrated about it. So, but um well, I'm, I'm sure he and, and many of your listeners are going to be familiar with some of the concepts and the stories that I'd like to share and, and, and discuss today. Um, but uh, since I am a lawyer, I also want to bring a little bit of a legal perspective. I, I, I have uh, taken some notes on some prominent um, werewolf trials, which I think are an interesting way to consider the phenomena, you know, rather than go the, the pop culture route. You know, I, I got to ask you, though, before we get started into this, since you are an attorney, have you ha, I know you can't drop names and I'm not going to ask you for specifics, but have you had to represent anyone in strange cases like this along these lines or in areas of esotericism? Um, I, I've certainly, you know, uh, a significant portion of the my active practice was was here in Florida where I live now. Um, it was on the other coast, but uh, I had a lot of clients who. Uh, held esoteric beliefs or had esoteric practices. Uh, there are there are plenty of folks in the Latin American community and uh, the the Haitians uh, particularly um, mm -hmm. for whom various kinds of uh, magic and witchcraft are are pretty standard. You know, was was anybody a, a, a full on Brujo or like uh, Hungan? I, I can't I can't say for sure, but there were definitely some people who who were dabblers in the arts, if not, if not more deeply connected. These, the, those cultures tend to be pretty circumspect about it as well, though, you know, like, uh, uh, membership in, in, a, a voodoo cult is, is a pretty secretive thing. You, people, people within the community might know, but they won't, they won't speak about it too much either, but yeah. you'll kind of get a, you'll get a sense though. You know, you'll meet somebody and you'll be like that, that person's got a kind of, kind of a, a creepy vibe. You know, mm -hmm. let's delve into this since you're the one that's put all this together and more or less, you know, the direction that you're going to take us in and where we're going to go. Where do you want to start? How do you want to get this going? Well, you know, I have some sort of general notes, which maybe we'll just divert into those as, as it's appropriate. But let's let's just start out with a with a, a court case and um, conspiracy theorists are, are going to be really familiar with the uh, trial of Jacques de Molay. Um, he was the uh, head of the uh, Knights Templar, and um, he was put on trial between 1307 and 1314 in Paris. And it's it, it wasn't technically a werewolf trial, um, but there are some themes involved in the trials of the Knights Templar that I think are common to a lot of the werewolf trials that came afterwards. And in some ways, uh, the persecution of the Knights Templar was it was kind of like the starting pistol for these sorts of um, religious trials that that often included accusations of witchcraft or werewolfism. So um, you, you might be familiar with the fact that um, the Knights Templar had established one of the first uh, international banking systems. Yeah, they they got a they got a real bad rap. And in, in my opinion, they were like the. Like everything was lumped onto them. They, it was like, okay, well, you guys are anti-Christian. You know, we've we've done shows on the Knights Templar before, and, and from what I understand, they were just an organization that became too powerful, and their church was like, wait a minute, we can't have this. 
And this is where like the um, the number 13 being a bad luck number and Friday the 13th, from what I understand, this is where all those things come from. Yeah. And I, and I think um, if, if we like my methodology for understanding these things is to try to acknowledge that there are different aspects uh, that might be expressed in these documents. So there might be things that have to do with real historical cultural practices. Um, there, there might be psychological or sociological phenomena at work. Um, mm -hmm. There's some pure fantasy, just fiction. Um, there's also metaphors, and then there may be some literal truth. And so if, if we look at the trial of the Knights Templar, I think we, we can see some things that are very suggestive. So, for example, uh, Philip IV, uh, the king of France, who uh, was responsible for, for the persecution of the Knights Templar, he owed them an awful lot of money. Um, he had borrowed substantial sums on a number of different occasions, and it, it wasn't clear that he was going to be able to pay them back. So uh, accusing the Knights Templar of witchcraft and heresy was a way to eliminate a debt for him. And you see in a lot of the werewolf trials, there's often uh, some substantial property involved. It's often not directly mentioned, but you'll find some reference that, that'll give you a little bit of a clue that like, oh, this, this is a great opportunity for somebody. So that's maybe one reason why the Knights Templar were, were persecuted. Another reason is that they spent a significant amount of time in the Holy Land uh, in, in Jerusalem and during their time there they probably interacted a lot with the the Muslim uh, people uh, and there's some suggestion that they would sometimes participate in in Muslim uh, religious services and so like we we get the word Baphomet um, from the trial of the Knights Templar uh, Baphomet's a, a you know we're all familiar with the goat-headed Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sort of uh, representation of Satan. But um, I, I think it's very interesting that, that Baphomet is, the name is probably a corruption of uh, the word Mahomet or Muhammad. Um, so ra rather than actually worshiping a goat-headed god, probably what they were saying is that you guys mixed with Muslims and you were worshiping Muhammad. Um, so, that, you, you know, at, at underneath the um, occult trappings, underneath the um, sort of garish imagery, uh, there, there are accusations that actually have to do with um, departure from, from religious and social norms. And, uh, and of course, the, the sort of uh, issues of power and money that, that provides some motivation for that. Now, not to say that there wasn't some occult aspect of it. What, one of the accusations... Uh, leveled against the Knights Templar was that uh, members of the group wore a small belt, um, which you see you see really often with the werewolf trials. There's often a belt or or um, or a garter um, that the the lycanthro puts on in order to transform into into a wolf. Um, so, like I said, it, although not technically a werewolf trial, um, Jacques de Molay his the accusations leveled against him and the fact that they ultimately burned him sort of sets a stage for, for what's going to happen with, with people who are accused of witchcraft and werewolfry. So was he uh, actually accused of being a werewolf though, or was that just something that was kind of tossed in later to further the sentence along? Well, like I said, that, that doesn't end up being, they don't quite get there. They, they say that they t spoke to cats. Oh, um, okay. 
which, <laughs> you know, there's a, such a fine line between a witch and a werewolf, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I, I think for a lot of people um, in, in, in the time periods at which these trials were taking place, there wasn't really a difference, you know, a, 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 of course a witch is going to turn into an animal. And uh, any, anybody who is a, a werewolf is to some extent a witch. Um, you know, there, there's very, very common things like for, for example, if, if we were to move on to the next, um, trial that I have in mind, there, there were, um, three Frenchmen who were accused of being werewolves and and there the, the accusation was quite direct. They were, they were accused of being werewolves. They were called the werewolves of, uh, Poligny and they were from, uh, Besançon in France and their names were Pierre Bougeau, uh, Michel Verdun and uh, Philibert Manteau. Um, and, and they have a, a thing where they, they said that they made an agreement with a, with a devil, basically. Um, so there's a story that says that a wolf had been wounded and a trail of blood when, when the hunters uh, tried to track down the wolf who was wounded led to the home of an injured man, uh, and that was Pierre. Um, so under torture, he implicated Michel and Philibert, uh, and he said that he had been out uh, trying to round up his sheep during New Year's, and 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 that sort of connects the dots for me with with uh, with the sort of cultural things because New Year's is um, you know it's it's close in time to the uh, winter solstice, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very important sort of pagan event. Um, and, and this, the time of year that, that people in a less witchcraft oriented culture might've in a, like in a more friendly way, imagined themselves to transform into wolves. Um, but, uh, he, so he's looking for his sheep during this storm and he, he says, uh, he meets three men uh, dressed in black and like the man in black is very typical. That's obviously Satan, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them calls himself Moisette um, and says he'll he'll round up the sheep if um, Pierre will renounce Christianity and, and serve him. Um, and in some of the stories, he just says serve him first. And it isn't until a year later that he says, OK, now renounce Christianity and kiss my hand and never go to church again and all, all these things. Um, but uh, that seems like a pretty shallow bargain. Just renounce Christianity and I'll get your sheep for you. Oh, I, okay, sure. Yeah, okay, that's sure. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I guess, is that thing. a good that's bargain a, or I don't know, you know, was it that difficult to round up sheep? <laughs> well, you know, Pierre says that he regretted the decision afterwards. So maybe ultimately he came to the same conclusion that like, uh, oh, maybe, maybe it was a bad deal. Um, I mean, but, that, uh, if you're, if you're Satan, that's a pretty good bargain. I would assume, you know, it's. <laughs> It's like I'll fix your shoe for you. Just renounce Christianity, you know, <laughs> or something. I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, and so we we got to remember that he, he's probably said this under torture. So some, yes. sometimes the stories are a little incoherent, and you can only imagine that, you, you know, at at some point he's sort of compliantly allowing dots to be connected. Yeah. This stop waterboarding me. I'll tell you anything you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. And. To the extent that I'm not even sure there is a Philibert Monteau, the third guy involved, uh, like the, the the records definitely indicate that that Pierre and Michel were tried and convicted. But 
Philibert, who's who's mentioned in nearly every account, it's not really clear what happened to him at the end. I I almost suspect that that was just a matter of making up threes. You know what I mean? Like, so there's three three black men, so there's got to be three. Well, you also, throughout throughout like which culture you always see things mentioned in three or some kind of a trinity of some sort or another, especially with stuff of esoteric based around this time period, like a coven of witches is usually three. Um, there's this thing that th- you probably familiar with it. There's this motive of the three hairs um, with their ears all intertwined with one another. Everything was done in threes along those lines. So sure. I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, like I said, the 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 notion of witchcraft and and werewolves is really tightly entwined here because it, um, Pierre says that it, he and Michelle attended a, a warlock's sabbath, like a witch's sabbath, um, where they were uh, smeared with ointment that transformed them into wolves, and that's a really common one. If if hallucinogens, <laughs> that's yeah. the one I always there, there's there's. Not to sort throw you off path, but there's mm-hmm. this story about how witches would put these. Um, they would write the the thing about witches riding broomsticks was always that they would you know ride broomsticks. They were masturbating with them, and they would put these salves on them, which were full of like hembane and things like that, which were hallucinogenic properties. And they would hallucinate that they would go out and transform or fly. Some of that stuff, from what I understand, is appears to be wives' tales. Like there's not really any real documentation of witches actually doing that or or using broomsticks in that way or whatever. Um, as of late, I've done a lot of research on this kind of stuff because it's tied me to my my brewing hobbies and so forth. But sure. um, but the the ointment always comes back into play in regards to witchcraft. There's always the rendering of baby fat and things like that, or the, you know the most vile things that you can do to make this you know, this um, blasphemous, you know, miracle ointment that makes you hallucinate or cast deals with the devil and so forth. Yeah, you know, they they actually found it is hard to connect the dots between uh, drug use and and some of the practices, although, you know, a a lot of it really seems to make sense. They they did find um, some henbane seeds in a Viking grave in Denmark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I found that interesting because... The you know the sort of the early version of werewolves in Europe, from to, to my way of thinking, are are the berserkers. Yeah, uh, they um yeah. Well, go ahead. We're gonna get to them. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, no, we we can absolutely we can we can take okay. a moment with them right now. The, the so the berserkers obviously we we in in sort of common knowledge think of them as as wearing the 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 skins of bears, but there were also berserkers that wore wolf skins. They were called the Othionar. Or wolf skins, or the heathen wolves, and um, you know, it it seems to me that they probably were also apart and aside from henbane, which is which is highly hallucinogenic. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I, I have to believe they were consuming uh, aminata muscaria, the um, the toadstool. Um, yeah, mush, that's what mushroom I've read. Caps. And, and it's, you know, they, believe they, that's they where have, the, the term berserk actually comes. Isn't it berserker or something like that? It's, it's, it was actually pronounced much differently than berserker or along the same lines. But that's where the term berserk comes from. Yeah, there, there are all sorts of interesting etymologies that can be done with with berserker. And then the, the Vikings obviously were um, people who would herd um, reindeer and uh, toadstool mushrooms grow prim- primarily on the dung of ruminant animals. So, hmm. you know, uh, 
if you're if you're a shepherd, I mean, this is part of the reason I think we see uh, an astounding number of religious prophets. You know, Muhammad was a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all the all the shepherd metaphors within Christianity. All, all these prophets were were following ruminant animals. And I, I had a good friend from uh, Liechtenstein in a you know a tiny tiny country in in Europe and. He and his friends used to go out uh, early in the morning before the other animals could get to them and stuff their faces with Aminata muscaria and uh, wow. just lie in the mountains and, and trip balls. Wow. Uh, and it, you, That's you know, dangerous because if you eat the wrong kind of mushroom, you don't live very long. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so. that's true. But if it, if the thing is if it's growing right on the animal dung. Yeah, uh, it is, it disgusting, is probably, yes. right? it, it, <laughs> it is, it is pretty vile. Um, but, but yeah, I, I have to imagine that I've been, uh, I, I met, uh, quite a few, um, nomadic herdsmen when I was living in Africa and, um, you know, it's a hard life following a herd around, mm-hmm. um, and you take opportunity to, to get food and, and whatnot. Well, wherever you can, you have to travel very light. You have to be very opportunistic. So the idea that somebody who keeps uh, these kinds of animals might eat the mushrooms that grow uh, around their patty, um, it seems like an inevitability to me. And then the the fact that the the hallucinogenic experience might uh, acquire some sort of um, religious uh, aspect is, I mean, that just seems pretty obvious to me. So back to the, the the berserkers, the idea with them is they would basically get high trip balls and they would believe that they were turning into these wolves or these turning into these animals. And that was the reason why they wore the pelts was to help them transform or to transform into what the pelts they were wearing. Yeah. And you see that in a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, primitive cultures, um, you know, the Native Americans in, in North America would wear wolf skins and, and, and had totem animals and believed that they could you know, summon some of the strength and the determination, the, the power of the, of, of the animal that they, they have, uh, they've adopted and in, in Latin America and South America. Um, there were the Aztec Jaguar warriors. Um, and, uh, they, very similarly, you know, they, they would believe that they could inhabit the fierceness of these creatures. These, these were usually like elite guardsmen too, in all of these cultures. Um, you know, so it's it's not it's not that everybody could just put on a skin and 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 be uh, a, a sort of animal warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, you really had to um, you had to go through rituals. You had to uh, sort of earn your way, and and there are all these natural connections. Like I I've, I thought it was interesting. Um, the berserkers, uh, at least according to the Four Nalder sagas. Um, were often described as being in groups of 12. Um, and I see a connection between that and the Jaguar warriors, because to be a Jaguar warrior, you had to uh, capture a total of 12 enemies alive um, that, that could be sacrificed. And, you know, there are, there are about 12 moon cycles in a, in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, right from the very beginning, there's this association between uh, the adoption of the power of the the wolf and the lunar cycle, um, 
you know, in, in, in none of these early werewolf stories do people have to turn into a werewolf at the full moon. You know, it's not like a curse. Yeah. When did that, how did that all come about? Was that, was that an American thing or a European thing or is that Hollywoodization or, you know, at what point did somebody say, Hey, a full moon, that's, that's the pull of the, of the werewolf and, you know, um, you're, you're going to turn into one or whatever. I'm not aware of it as as a the sort of like rule of werewolves until the until the werewolf movie um, like the Wolfman, mm-hmm. um, uh, the the old black and white one. And I I think a lot of the things that we associate in pop culture with with werewolves come from there, like silver as well. The early werewolves they they could be killed with with just about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot a lot of these stories involve somebody has like somebody cuts the paw off of a wolf and then. They go to the tavern and somebody's missing a hand. There's a guy who we can talk about in a little bit named named Stubb. Okay. Or or Stump, Peter Stump. And that's sort of the story uh, caught up with him. So you didn't need a special weapon. The Berserkers you did. The Berserkers is a little bit of that. There's a, like a, the Berserkers couldn't be harmed by iron or fire. Um, you could kill one with a blunt object. But they were supposedly uh, impervious to those things. And one of the things that I read that I thought was interesting was that uh, it's possible that they were doing sort of like there are things that like the fakir will do, like walking on hot coals or sword swallowing or things like that. You know, they're, yeah. they're like tricks that you can do. But the whole thing about being a berserker was to freak out your opponent, um, to, to get them to believe that you're some kind of wild beast um, channeling Superman, you know? And I, and I do think it's interesting, like like I said, in primitive cultures, these were sort of positive stories. These were like the, these were the high-ranking people in your community, you know? They're the ones who would guard the king and they'd lead the, 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 the army into battle and they'd keep your community safe. And uh, it's only later, on, uh, you know, sort of post-Christianized Europe. I was going to say, is it Christianity that warped all that and, and and kind of bastardized it and said, no, that is bad, that is evil, that is that is the spirit of the devil that's in imbuing these people? It it, it is, um, you know. Although there's a, there's a sort of dialectic that sort of crosses back and forth, and there are people who can subvert it. So, like one of my favorite stories, I'm going to skip to the the last in time one actually. Yeah, we'll go back because I really do want to cover some of these cases. There's some pretty neat court cases in here. Yeah, so there's the, but we got to talk about the Livonian werewolf, who's uh, this guy named Thies of Kaltenbrunn. And this is around 1692. Like I said, it's one of the later ones. Mm -hmm. And this is in uh, Jurgensburg, um, Swedish Livonia. Um, And this, I mean, it's it's so weird. It's a man who's about 80 years old or so, uh, which already seems like sort of a strange thing. And, and, Thies, he had been called into trial basically like as a witness. And he started to make these confessions that the, just baffled the court. Uh, and they ended up putting him on his own trial um, for the things that he was saying. And uh, so he he openly declared himself to be a werewolf. And he said, I, I travel to hell along with the other werewolves three times a year in order to do battle with the devil and his witches as a hound of God in order to secure a good harvest for the community. And, oh, uh, okay. You know, that, that to me, it sounds like that's so pagan. Um, it's, it's such an interesting, and, and the, it's like, listen, I'm a werewolf, but I'm on the side of God. So don't burn me. <laughs> so yeah. I'm and, doing the good the, Lord's work here. <laughs> 
and the court, you know, at this point in time, plenty of people, I mean, the upwards of, uh, of 20 or 30,000 people have been burned at the stake for any indication that they might have been involved in witchcraft or, or been a werewolf or what have you. And so for somebody to, to voluntarily just be like, yeah, I'm a werewolf and, and then spill, spin this story is just like, I, I mean, it's, it's great. It sounds like it was really puzzling for, for the judges. Um, but he, you know, he said that the, the satanic horde would try to steal the harvest. And so he and his, he and his, shape-shifting friends would would go and um spend um the, the, these dates close to uh the winter solstice the vernal equinox and the summer equinox right or or, or summer solstice rather mm-hmm. um so I, I one of the things that i think is interesting so he's protecting the harvest but the only pagan holiday he doesn't hit is the harvest festival you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 this is another one where the logic just doesn't seem to connect somehow. Well, Samhain. So, yeah, 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 exactly. So, so that, that holiday, he doesn't go to hell. The, the rest of the holidays, he says the witches are stealing or trying to steal the fruits of the fields and they go and they snatch them out of the, out of hell and bring them back. And he he had a, he had a broken nose. And he said that one farmer who was a witch hit hit him on his nose with a with a with a with a stick, and that's how his nose got broken. Um, which the court was like, oh, okay, we'll we'll accept that as evidence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they they asked him to produce the wolf pelt that he said used him he used to transform into a into a wolf, and he he wasn't able to do that, and so the court was a little frustrated by that. Uh, and as a, as a brewer, you might be interesting. His, his way of passing this, you know, rather than you become a werewolf because somebody bites you, his way of transforming somebody into a werewolf was to have a toast. Um, he would take a jug, drink from it three times and say, you will become like me and then pass the jug to them. And when they drank, they'd become a werewolf as well. Hmm. But he said he hadn't passed it on to anybody. He said that's how he would do it, but he hadn't passed it on to anybody because he hadn't found anybody he thought would be a good werewolf. This reminds me in some state or some way of that Jack Nicholson movie that was about the you know the werewolf movie that Jack Nicholson made, where in that movie it wasn't so much that uh, when you became a werewolf, it wasn't so much that you became evil. It just enhanced what you actually were. So if you were an evil person, the wolf would enhance your evilness. And if you were, you know, a regular person that wasn't bad or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily be out trying to kill people or anything like that. Um, which I thought was pretty neat about that movie. It wasn't the stereotypical transform into a werewolf, go out and eat people and, you know, whatever. That um, was a little bit different of a take on it. But because um, throughout a lot in the pagan cultures up until Christianity came along, as, as you stated, being transformed into a wolf or one of these creatures wasn't necessarily a bad thing. You were just taking on the animus of that creature to assist you in whatever you were doing. Yeah. And wolves have a really complicated history with humanity. Uh, they are, uh, have been, and, and no doubt are absolutely terrifying, you know, cause they are an, an animal that is capable of and has a, has a history of eating mm-hmm. humans. So, I, I mean, uh, there, there are, um, 
hyenas in Africa uh, are the are the most feared sort of alpha predator. And when you hear them outside of the village, people are absolutely terrified. And and to call somebody a hyena is a terrible insult in in West African culture. It's maybe the worst thing that you can call somebody. And and people know people who have been eaten by hyenas and things like that. And I imagine at an earlier point in Europe, the relationship with wolves must have been very similar. Although on the other hand, uh, especially the earlier you go, uh, human relations with wolves have been a critical part of our survival. You know, I mean, uh, apart from our um, sort of food animals, uh, the dog is the most important animal for for early human survival so you know and they, and they opened up a lot of opportunities for us and and you know at, a, at an early stage they would have effectively they would they would have been basically wolves themselves mm-hmm. so like I, said, I, th- I think i think there is some of that tension like are, are wolves something that protect us or are they something that hunt us well you find in, in native american culture uh Canadian um, Aboriginal culture and so forth, they really don't see the wolf as, as something that's out to, you know, they don't see it as an evil force. It's it's more of a, you know, that, that's, that's where they get the whole thing is my spirit animal is the wolf, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in Europe, it was like wolves are evil, um, you know, that's that. And they brought that over with that. I think that was brought over to America with the immigrants. Because only, only in European cultures up until they came to America did you see the wolf as an evil kind of thing. You know, I think they had a different relationship with it over there, whereas in America, uh, the natives, they respected it more. It was an animal that was more respected. And, you know, yes, it was feared because they could take you out and kill you. But, you know, it was it was a symbiotic kind of thing here because the natives were migratory people and they moved around. And the wolves and all the animals, we had, they had a certain pattern that they would go into. I hope I'm making sense here. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And I, I say and that I a lot, but <laughs> the, the the distinction I think also has to do with the, some differences in lifestyle. You know, when when you keep domestic animals, wolves are a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the wolves will come in for those domestic animals, and and therefore put you at risk as well. You yeah. know, if on the other hand you're a nomad and you're you're just following herds of wild animals. Probably the wolves, for the most part, are going to avoid you. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they're still going to be around, but they're not going to come to your community because you're not, you don't have an enclosure full of sheep mm-hmm. for for them to raid. Um, and so, I think there's probably a, a lesser chance of of those sorts of negative interactions when you're when you're a nomad as opposed to being a a villager. You know. Like I said, the, the hyenas are terrifying, but and and um, the villagers that that I lived with in Africa, most of them would not leave the the village just to walk to the next neighboring village at night. But at the same time, there are nomadic tribes that are traveling through where they're with their let's say wild kept domestic animals, and they seem to survive just fine. You know, they 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 don't seem to be under under threat, and I think it's because they have that sort of mobility that you know i mean how how long are you going to dangle uh, a juicy sheep in front of a yeah exactly uh, exactly yeah wolf before something happens you know yeah well they got to eat you know and they're going to go after whatever they can find that that's their predators you know that's that's how they are but um yeah. let's go back to the court cases and you've got one here the the werewolf of dole 
Yeah, the werewolf of Dole is uh, Gilles Garnier. Um, he was also called the Hermit of Saint Bonnet. Um, that this is in Dole, France. He this was a guy. He he lived by himself for the most part, and he had just married a wife um, and and brought her out to his place. He lived out in the out in the cuts, you know. Mm-hmm. And the one of the, one of the gloss sort of things that we hear about Gilles is that he was um, he, he was having a hard time feeding his new wife, right? Like he, he would, he would get by, by sort of just foraging in the forest for himself. And and he was fine doing that, but he was having a hard time getting enough food together to satisfy her. Mm-hmm. Um, and a group of workers that was traveling between towns, they thought they saw a wolf, um, hunched over the body of a dead child. Um, but it got away and uh, some some of them later said that they recognized Gilles. Uh, actually, a, a bunch of them. But there were about 50 witnesses that ultimately came forward saying that they had seen him attacking and killing children in vineyards and devouring their raw flesh. And the, the sheer number of witnesses make me suspect that, um, that they're telling lies. You know, uh, I, I, I'll buy one witness or two witnesses or three witnesses, but 50 witnesses, um, in any event that they, they said that, um, Gilles, well, Gilles at trial said that he encountered a specter when he was out hunting who said, I can make your hunting easier. Once again, this is a sort of like cheap transaction for, Mm -hmm. for one soul, right? This is the, this is the deal with the devil right here. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, here, let me give you this ointment. And, uh, <laughs> again <laughs> yeah and it'll, it'll turn you into a wolf and you'll be able to hunt easier and so he took it and um said that he would he would go out and he'd, he'd put on the ointment he'd turn into a wolf he'd kill a child uh he'd eat eat some and then he would uh, cut up some of the meat and take it home to his wife uh and feed her with it too um you know like i said his his is a sort of puzzling one they're multiple occasions when they say in the trial uh he was interrupted sort of mid-act uh and people spotted him and this and that and there are 50 witnesses and i just can't i can't believe that a that a community would allow that to go on for so long i mean unless we believe that he literally turned into a wolf mm-hmm. which I, I mean i won't rule out the possibility you know there all sorts of strange things that happen in this world, but it seems unlikely. Um, yeah, I think I think it's more likely that that Gilles was a was a creep. Um, yeah, he was a weirdo, and you know, they, they. I think I think it just got to be good entertainment telling creepy stories about Gilles Gagné and his creepy wife out in the woods. You know, it's. Well, let's move on to, as we discussed earlier, Peter Stump, which seems to be appropriately named. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 1589. He's the werewolf of Bedburg, uh, Germany. Um, and he's a, he's another one. There's a lot of uh, sort of a, like they kill children. Uh, they, Peter Stump was accused of werewolfry, witchcraft, cannibalism. And he confessed under torture to killing more than a dozen children and two pregnant women. Um, one of the children that he said to have killed was his own son. Uh, they said that he he ate his son's brains. 
Um, they also accused him of incest with his daughter. Um, so he, he, he probably wasn't, he, the stump probably wasn't his, his surname. I, I've also seen stub around. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think if, if you've read enough folk tales, you've heard the folk tale of the werewolf having its paw cut off. And I, I think it might've started with stump. He was missing his left hand. Uh, and so they said like, oh yeah, they cut the left paw off of this wolf. And so of course he's missing his left hand. He's the wolf. Um, and this, the story of Peter Stump is interesting. It reminds me of Jacques de Molay, um, because he, he was a, he's well-documented as having been a wealthy, uh, farmer and landowner and uh, a widower, uh, who had a mistress and, and two daughters. So he doesn't have a clear line of succession. He's got all this property and the accusation of witchcraft or werewolfry is a, is kind of a great way to get him out of the picture and take his, take his stuff. Um, but you know, under torture, he tells a good story. He tells the story that, that you would expect, which is that the, the devil gave him a belt or a girdle. Um, that allowed him to transform into a wolf. And so they, they beat him and flayed him on the, the Catherine wheel, which is, you know, you, you heard of being broken on the wheel. Mm-hmm. That's the Catherine wheel. And um, the reason why they break the limbs is to prevent him from rising from the grave because, once again, there's a sort of conflation. There's, there's not much difference between a vampire and a werewolf and a, and a witch. And a, they, they're, you know, he's he's some sort of, he's in league with Satan, right? So mm-hmm. who knows what, so they, they break his, his limbs. Um, they cut off his head and, uh, gotta be thorough. They, <laughs> gotta be thorough. And then they burned him. <laughs> well, they, they burn the body. They burn the body along with his daughter and his, and, and his mistress. Uh, it's not clear to me what happened to the other daughter. The daughter that they burned is the one that they said that he had an incestuous re- relationship with. So, um, you know, burn the victim. I, I guess is is a thing, <laughs> and uh, but they they kept his head and they they stuck it on uh, the body of a wolf and they hung that up in town as Jeez. a warning to to werewolves, not to not to hang around town. Now, and it, I'm yeah. seeing I'm seeing I'm seeing a, a trend here. Most of these stories are either coming out of France or Germany. Um, you do have a couple here that are not, but. What was the deal with France being so petrified with werewolves? Was it because the beast of Javaudin or did that come later or earlier or does that even tie into any of this or does um, France I, just have a thing for – that, was that where the werewolf started from? Well, I, I mean I, I think it's probably it, – certainly it's, it's from that region. We, we want to talk about like sort of Germany, Switzerland and France are probably the, the center of the activity and you have the most witches burned uh, in, in that region. And I, I think if you, if you look at the time period, uh, a lot of that probably has to do with the um, Protestant Reformation um, because, uh, you know, Protestant Reformation started in Germany uh, around 1517, uh, which is, is just prior to the, the uh, werewolves of Poligny. Uh, that's Burgo, Verdun and Montau. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Protestant Reformation is a sort of live concern throughout this entire 
um, span, and particularly in these regions, is that Protestantism more or less won out in Germany. Um, and in France, the, a, a great deal of violence um, prevented Protestantism from taking hold. I don't know, have you, have you ever heard of the, um, what is it called, the, the, the uh, St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre? Um, I'm not familiar with it. No, I know I have listeners out there right now that are listening to the show. One particularly in, from France who's probably pulling their hair out right now hearing me say this. Uh, but no, not really. If you, if you want to tap us into it, sure, go ahead. If yeah, well, if there's a Cliff Notes uh, version of it. Uh, there absolutely is. Basically, um, the, uh, the, there, there was a, a very prominent, uh, figure, a woman from, um, um, a uh, powerful Italian uh, mercantile family. Um, uh, oh man, I'm going to lose her name right now. Well, in, in, in any event, her her uh, she she was tied in with the royalty, and um, her son wanted to marry this this Protestant affiliated girl, and um, she was bound and determined that 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 was not going to be. Um, you know, that, that was not going to be her France. So they, they held a wedding party uh, at the Louvre and they invited all the prominent, uh, Protestants in town. And in the middle of the party, um, they opened fire on them from the ramparts with, uh, with a bow and arrow and, um, slaughtered them and, and dumped the bodies into the Seine, uh, the river that, oh, that runs Game through of there. Thrones. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely at, at straight, straight out of Game of Thrones or, or vice versa. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a very, very red wedding sort of situation. But in the aftermath of that, that was right around, um, say Bartholomew's day. Uh, there was, that was sort of taken as a cue by towns all over, um, all over France that it was open season to clean house on your Protestants. And like, like a lot of acts of mass violence or religious violence, it was a great opportunity to seize property and cancel debts and take over businesses and take lands and all all those sorts of things. And so, you know, during a time that was also sort of economically difficult, there were, there were reasons for that. And that's part of the reason why I think what happened to Peter Stump happened to him is because historians, also note that Stump was almost certainly a Protestant convert, and the incident took place after a moment of social upheaval um, that resulted in the Catholic suppression of a Protestant uprising in his area. So, you know, the um, I you know, another thing apart from werewolfism and and um, witchcraft being basically the same thing is 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 also heresy is is an important aspect of all of these. And that's, that's why as, as well, Jacques de Molay is important because the, the real crime is to be a heretic, to be somebody who's outside of the, the sort of religious norms. Um, and so you could be a heretic by being, a by being a Protestant. Um, and if you're a heretic, then you're probably a witch. And if you're a witch, you're probably a werewolf and you just, you know, yeah, if you're this, you're probably that. And if you're that, you're probably, well, okay, you're done. Basically. I guess that would bring us to uh, Jacques Roulet. Am I saying that correctly? Jacques Roulet, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he ties uh, into a lot of this as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, and I, I, I love the cases. There, there are several cases here where somebody sort of gets off. I, I don't know if I, ever, uh, if I had said, but these only got flogged. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the old man who said, Oh, I'm, I'm a werewolf. I'm a hound of God. Well, that's it. He, they didn't kill him or anything. They let, they let him off with just a flogging. 
He just he just got flogged and, and run out of town. Uh, but an eighty year old man for real? Seriously, yeah. <laughs> man, you know, like, <laughs> come on, you know, the guy's eighty. <laughs> Still, still, he's lucky to have left with his skin, you know? Um, yeah, really. Well, we got to do something. So, I mean, we realize you're fighting for God and you turn into a wolf and stuff, but I mean, werewolf's the, a werewolf, so, you know. The the alternative is they break your arms and legs, they skin you, they cut off your head, they burn your body, they stick the head on a wolf. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. a whipping, that's all right. <laughs> We're going to give you a choice. It's this or that. <laughs> I'll take whipping for 400. <laughs> <laughs> So Jacques Roulet, uh, 1598, he's the werewolf of Co uh, from Touraine, Angers, France. Um, and a couple of hunters came across wolves eating the body of a dead 15-year-old boy. And when they follow the blood trail, they find Jacques Roulet covered in blood. And in court, he says, I used a salve uh, to transform into a wolf and murder children. So we got all those, all the classics there, right? The I see a wolf, the blood trail to the person, eats kids. Um, you know, cause I, I do think that there, there's a kind of sexual component to werewolves as well. I mean, there's, a, there's a kind of pedophilic uh, component to them. There's a lot of like devouring children. You know, in a second, we'll talk about Jean Grenier where, where it's, it's, it's very, um, it's maybe a little more explicit. But uh, what I like about Jacques Roulet is that he appeals. He appeals to the Parliament of Paris, um, and the sentence is revoked and reduced to two years in a mental institution on the grounds that his testimony is given under duress, and that at the time he's not of sound mind. And I think Jacques Roulet was probably also Protestant. Angers in in France was a source, the center of a lot of struggle between Catholic and Protestant factions, and there's some indication that he had some pretty good connections. Um, which once again, that that might have been a reason to make him a target is probably also why he was able to slip the noose on that one. Mm-hmm. But two years in a mental institution, that's pretty sweet. Again, even, it sounds like he got off fairly easy compared. Comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. Even Jean Green, Grenier doesn't uh, get off nearly so bad uh, or, or near, nearly so easily. And it, he's an interesting one. He was like a 14 year old kid. Right. Um, there was this girl, this 13 year old girl, Marguerite Poirier and uh, Saint Antoine de Pizon in France. She says that she was out uh, with the sheep, got attacked by a wolf and managed to drive it off with an iron staff that she was carrying. And when she um, when she reports the incident to the authorities, she also says to them, oh, I think I know who it is. Jean Grenier brags to me that he likes transforming into a wolf and attacking people. And he when he when they confront him, he confesses to the attack and he says he's also killed and eaten other children in the area. And um, says a man named Pierre Latillère. Um, had introduced him to the Lord of the Forest, who gave him a wolf skin and an ointment that would allow him to transform into a wolf. Um, what is this ointment? I, as you were talking, I'm trying to do a Google search to see if I could pull up anything on what werewolf salve is, and I can't find anything in regards to it. But all of these stories have this this ointment, this magical ointment that turns you into a beast. I mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's just, it just keeps popping up again and again and again. So... Yeah, it's always an ointment. What is this or, ointment? Or they'll say a belt or a garter, uh, and a, by a garter they basically mean a belt. Um, yeah, I you know I think I think maybe the more important part 
in the minds of the people and, and maybe ritualistically is that in either case, whether you're talking about a, this little belt or ointment, you're, you're basically talking about going out at night in the woods uh, naked, um, which as a sort of ritualistic act is could be very powerful. Um, and for a Christian villager, just the idea of it would be horrifying. You know, the idea of being naked mm-hmm. outside would be horrifying, you know, and the, the, you know, it, yeah. So I, I think it's part of the sort of luridness of these stories that, it, you know, in, in the, in the prosecution of these cases, I think, you know, the, the, the public is both titillated and terrified by the the sordid details Mm -hmm. and i think you know the closest they can come to saying can you imagine you know he was out naked is to say oh yeah he was he he had this ointment you know a wink and a nudge actually I i just found something here a magic salve or ointment a good number of recorded cases mentions a salve or ointment in which Werewolf could rub, would rub their bodies for transformations. The compositions of these ointments were different, but generally contained plant ingredients like nightshade, belladonna, and henbane. Uh, pig fat, uh, turpentine, and olive oil were used as a solvent for them. Later, when the distillation of spirits was perfected, alcohol served the purpose. So, yeah, most of the, like, these are uh, belladonna, henbane, nightshade, these are all hallucinogens of yeah. one form or another. Yeah, and, and they all convey a feeling of floating or or disembodiment, which, you know, I would think uh, if you're imagining yourself a werewolf, there's got to be some sort of like body body dysmorphia. There's this sort of separation from your physicality. But yeah, I, in so much as such things might have happened, I, I do suspect that there was there there were drugs being introduced through the skin. And that people were probably running through the woods naked, which sounds like a great time, honestly. <laughs> yeah, if you've got bug repellent, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you've got enough pig grease on I, you. I don't know, man. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, there, there's twigs and plants and, and there's lots of things that can scrape and cut and puncture. You know, I, I guess like everybody dancing around a fire naked and stuff like that, that's a little bit different. But the idea of just running through the woods at night, stark naked doesn't sound real interesting to me you know i'd probably be the creep that would be running around with socks and a pair of shoes on at least or something but i i don't know it's just maybe i i don't know i i just don't see it um so can i ask you about the beast of java name am i pronouncing that right do you know do you know much about the history with that uh not am i pronouncing hand, it correctly yeah i mean it's, it sounds it sounds about right but if you give, give me some of the details maybe i'll maybe i'll you know i don't always know by name sometimes i know it the was story, thought so. to be this well there it's it's one of the original werewolf legends there was a movie called brotherhood of the wolf that was made about it which was somewhat historically accurate and they never really discovered what it was the skeptical uh field believes it's pretty much just a uh a wolf that had rabies or a large wolf that had rabies of some kind. But mm-hmm. there was this wolf that was attacking and terrifying the countryside between 1764 and 1768, I believe it was, or seven, it's between 66 and 68. Um, so we'll go with 67. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. And there was this, this range of attacks and they, these things were, uh, this thing was just 
um, it was just, you know, killing people in the daytime and stuff. It was just this wolf that was supposed to be reportedly very immense and it was just taking people out for the most part. Um, I'm not sure how many, um, I think it was around 200 attacks that it had committed. Um, I think a uh, hundred of those victims that were attacked were killed. Um, and they okay. never really quite found out exactly what it was. It was, it's always been depicted and thought of as a werewolf. But, you know, they never, you know, or if it even really existed for the most part, there's people that say that this thing didn't actually even exist. Um, but it looked like a wolf. Um, yeah, yeah I've, big, I've, you know. I've, I've just looked it up here. I do. I recognize the drawing. And, and as, of you, as you've spoken, I, I absolutely am familiar with the uh, Beast of Javaudin. Yeah, that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Yes. Apologies to our French listeners. And I know you're out there. <laughs> I'm a stupid <laughs> but, American. But anyways. You know, interestingly enough, I, I took my dog out to be uh, vaccinated for her uh, so that I could renew her license. And um, one of the other folks who was waiting to have their their animal vaccinated had a um, it, it was either a full blood wolf or a wolf hybrid, um, which I, I found interesting. I have a I have a husky um who's got a sort of wolfish look to her and, and people will say sometimes, Oh, she looks like a wolf. Uh, but you know, seeing a real wolf, I said, yeah, no, she doesn't look like a wolf. When you see a wolf, you know, you know that it's a wolf because it is enormous and has a look that is subtly, but powerfully different than, than a domesticated animals look. And, um, that, that animal was uh, over a hundred pounds, um, and you know several feet at the shoulder, and you know, let's say uh, an animal. I, I I can I I find an animal of that size or even a bit larger. The notion that one might might take to eating people, I, I don't find that to be too fantastical. No, no, neither do I. I. I I don't have a problem. Well, wolves are traditionally pack creatures. They're they're a pack hunter family. So for the idea that possibly this was just a large wolf that had rabies and or went off on its own doesn't sound that far fetched to me. Um, wolves did attack people. They they do eat people. You know, it's 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 in their nature to do that. Um, the big thing about this was is that everybody was freaking out because the king could not get a handle on what this thing was and they couldn't get rid of it. And they finally did. Apparently, um, I hired somebody to come in. Jean, uh, Jean, Jean Chastel. I can't speak French for crap. Jean Chastel. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't know what to think about that guy's name because chasse is is to hunt. Chasse. So yeah. Jean Chastel is sort of like John, John the Hunter. Or yeah, John the Baptist or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which maybe it's because his family have been hunters for forever, and so that that's that's why they're called that. Or maybe it's a metaphorical story in which you know the beast is killed by the hunter, and we don't actually mean literal people. Maybe we're talking about something else. It's it's kind of hard to parse out sometimes. Like I said in the beginning of our discussion. I tend to think that sometimes sometimes several things are true, right? Like if you tell me there was a wolf that killed a bunch of people in France, I said, no problem with that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if you tell me that in addition to that wolf killing a bunch of people, some murders were ascribed to them. You know what I mean? Like it, it, like it might be convenient. Maybe I'm going to kill my landlord or my 
spouse or my the wolf came along and did it yeah yeah and and i think that that might happen and then we might have accidents that we say uh, also attribute to it um you you know and and then also maybe we throw in some local fairy tale you know that sort of rings a bell with that and we we kind of merge the two together i think all that stuff can can happen you know yeah over a period of time these legends and folklore all tend to start melding together in different ways and different beliefs of different regions come in it's like you said if you're a werewolf you're a vampire you're a ghoul you know you're what have you all these things kind of just kind of gel and cohesive at a certain point um it's like you know they used to put bars over the graves because they were afraid that you know dead would rise back out and the bars were supposed to keep people from doing that or they would put a, a rock in a, a rock in a skull's mouth or something like or a person's mouth when they buried them. All yeah. of these legends kind of congeal and coagulate and you know that's they start going on. Now now you know we live in an age of um twilight where you have, you know, that that werewolf story, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I, I I think I think you know it, what one of the things that's interesting about the old practices and the old stories is that even even when they sound ridiculous, you can sometimes begin to understand the less ridiculous truth about them. So like all this concern about the dead rising, it's some of it seems crazy, like you put bars over the over the grave or whatever. But, you know, it, during a time in which medical knowledge and equipment is was rare, you know, there's a reason why in a lot of cultures there's a period of time where family sits around next to the dead body. And that's because we're waiting to see, are they really dead? You know, are they really, are they going to start to stink or are they going to wake up all of a sudden? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that uncertainty would persist even unto the grave, you know? Well, yeah, that's where, you know, it's, I'm sure everybody knows this, but that's where the whole term dead ringer comes from. They had graves with bells and strings going down into them. And if you woke up in the in, inside the casket, there was a string. You could pull on the string, and it would ring the bell, and they'd let you know, "Hey, there's there's a guy alive down there. We need to dig him back out." You know, and that's yeah. where the whole term "dead ringer" comes from. Yeah, and in, in another time, the line between life and death, between man and animal, between you know the magical and the mundane, the the, the these were sort of permeable. Um. They, they they weren't they weren't laid in stone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I I think it's real interesting to see cultures trying to grapple with that or or using it f- for a sort of mercenary end at times because I do think as well a lot of the um, werewolf and witchcraft um, persecution the, the the inquisitions and those sorts of things they were reflective of a culture that was anxious it had only recently started to have contact with a a broader world you know this is this is a span of time in which uh the europeans have just discovered that there's a new world um the americas and who knows what it's like plus the 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 um crusades were just not so long ago you know Mm mm-hmm and, you know, maybe maybe you're meeting or hearing about or know people who who were at places where people spoke different languages and had different religious practices. Uh, there were times of social change. And so they react very much the way people react today, which is 
you know, with a, with a, a, a fear, you know, fear of outsiders, f- fear that outsiders are, are in among them, um, undermining them. I got to ask you, you've been, you've been all over the place. In your travels around the world, like when you're in, like, say, Africa, do, does Africa have lycanthropy legends that go along with this? Do they have their variations of it as well? Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely there. Do they have like were jaguars there or what have you? You know, it's 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 a little less um, direct. There are the transformations are usually into spiritual creatures as opposed to to physical ones. Like I'm I'm not really sure that I ever met anybody who even suggested that they might turn into a to a, a bird or a, a wolf or an antelope or anything like that. But, you know, when, when there are religious festivals, people will take on, um, and, and by religious, I mean sort of the, the, the local folk religion. Um, people will take on roles in which it's understood by the community. Like that's no longer Amadou, the guy who lives in our village. That's now the Konkorong, this like spirit, spiritual, creature um so i mean i do think that that is a kind of transformation and in like the european transformation you know you put on this outfit you put on this costume and all of a sudden you're another you're another creature um you know and i think that that goes back to sort of the 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 spirit dancers and the um those sort of religious origins of lycanthropy in in europe as well is that um that I think that there would, the origin is in a more ritualistic event where for a time I put on this outfit and I become an idea rather than a person. It's, it's like Batman, right? Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you one more question that I should have ans- asked you at the very beginning of the show, but I just got wrapped up in it. Um, you have in your notes here the origin of the word lycanthrope. So where did all of this start? How did the whole lycanthrope thing come about? Yeah, that's a that's a great one. That's um, Lycaon, who's the ancient Greek king of Arcadia, and uh, and I, I love I love the the stories where somebody doubts the gods. You know, it's and, and Lycaon he doubted uh, Zeus's omniscience, and so to test him, he served him. Um, you know, in the stories, it, there are a bunch of different stories. They, they differ a little bit. Sometimes it's it's one of Lycaon's sons. Sometimes it's one of his grandsons. Sometimes it's one of his slaves, but in any event, he serves a, a, a human flesh at a feast that uh, Zeus is in attendance at, and Zeus goes batshit and <laughs> throws lightning bolts around. He scorches a bunch of people, and in the stories, he turns either either just Lycaon, or sometimes it's Lycaon and his sons, which there might have been a lot of them. He's, he's said to have had like 50 sons, um, but either just him or, or all of them were turned into wolves as a punishment. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think the first being a werewolf is a curse. Being a werewolf is a bad thing. Is maybe also slightly less of a werewolf, uh, because he, it's, it's not like he turns back and forth. He, he's a man. He messes up. Zeus turns him into a wolf. And that's pretty much the end of the story for like, um, there's some great artwork of him, though. Now, uh, 
I've also heard tell that this is where the name Lycopian tomatoes came from because it was believed if you ate those tomatoes that you would turn into a werewolf. Am I nuts on that or am I hearing? You know, I, 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 I wouldn't doubt it. There are a lot of uh, interesting folk beliefs having to do with tomatoes specifically because uh, tomatoes are in the same family of plants as, as belladonna. And so for a long time they were thought to be poisonous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, throughout Europe they thought tomatoes were poisonous. Um, so, you know, it, it's, if I, I could certainly, I could certainly believe that, you know, I might look like, that up sometime and I don't know, maybe I'll put it at the end of the show or something. If I find anything out about it, I'll send it to you. <laughs> I just, it, it was, was one of the things I always heard. It was this idea that if you, they got their name because if you ate the tomato, if you ate that tomato, you would turn into a werewolf and they were believed to be poisonous. There was some guy that sat in the town square once I, I read it somewhere. The guy ate a whole bushel of tomatoes to prove that they weren't poisonous and wouldn't kill you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are interesting things. Some of the things turn out to be true, and some are some are some are poppycock. I was just reading earlier today uh, about uh, fly uh, fly aminata. Uh, um, the aminata muscara is the what is it called? It's the fly aminata. Um, but it's called that because that's the the, the hallucinogenic mushrooms. They they used to grind them up and put them in milk uh, uh-huh. to, to kill flies. Um. But I wonder if they were also maybe not just like drinking um, hallucinogenic milk for, for a while. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> well, I've had you on here for over an hour now, and I think we've pretty thoroughly covered a different look at the legends of werewolves or different aspects of them. Um, do you have anything out there that you're working on, any books or a website, or is there anything that you'd like to promote or anything? I, I, I you're yeah, just this uh, guy that, like, I, I've met through another podcast that's just fiercely interesting. So I don't, I don't know where to steer it right now. <laughs> well, there, there are there are a couple of things. I'm I'm working on a book um, that ultimately is going to be about 350 pages, and I'm talking about a, a graphic novel, a 350 page graphic novel. Um, that we're just about done the first um, sort of comic book length set of artwork for. I have to do the the lettering for it still, um, but. By the time this comes out, I, I may have actually got that lettered and up on um, up on our website. Uh, so if if you check back either with with me at uh, Winston underscore Conrad uh, on Twitter, uh, or if you go to mysteryschoolcomics.com, you might be able to find um, the first part of a very big story about werewolves. Um, and, and I have a much more sympathetic view of, of werewolves. I think um, my, my werewolves are not are not villains. Um, they're not in league with Satan. They are in league with a, a, a man in the forest. Um, so, you know, I could uh, Christians might s- still not dig it too much. But um, are we talking in the green man here? A little bit, a little bit. I don't I don't go so far as to. Uh, uh, they, there's a lot of talking to trees. There, there are some familiar animals. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a shadow that talks to people, uh, and and a bunch of werewolves who are trying to avoid um, getting burned at the stake. Uh, so, I, I, I think it's going to be a great book. The um, the artist I have working on it, um, Justin McElroy, we've we've done some work together in the past, and you can find some of our stuff at Mystery School Comics. And uh, 
uh, he's got a great style that really suits the storytelling. So you can look for that. And then if you're interested in the law, I talk about um, uh, presidential decisions that are handed down by the federal courts every week um, in a program called Fine Laws 5 and 5. It's a five-minute long weekly podcast. Oh, um, man. Right now, you must <laughs> – how, how could you do a show like that right now? Your your brain must be so cooked. <laughs> or is well, that yeah. why you're doing it because this is a time for something like that? I mean, it's it, it's always kind of a crazy time in the law, and it, I, for the last uh, through two or three years now, have have read almost every presidential decision handed down by at, at least nine of the twelve circuits. Um, so I mean, I've read thousands of of legal decisions. <laughs> at some point, it makes you less. You know, you know, we live in a time that like. Um, the dark ages when these when these trials were taking place when people are full of fear but um, if you start to if you keep an eye on what's going on it's it's it'll, it'll be all right you know <laughs> we'll get through it <laughs> i hope so <laughs> well winston i'm gonna let you go thanks for coming on here and talking about this stuff i wanted to put out a very different show than what is usually talked about and i think we've achieved that here you know in about a year or so maybe we'll bug, bug you about something else just as crazy and off the wall it sounds great maybe maybe next time i'll see if i can find any court cases about vampires or something oh that'd be sweet <laughs> yeah that's 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 the kind of stuff you know i'm, I'm fascinated by court cases that deal with this kind of stuff because there is stuff that happens with this you have all kinds of I imagine you've dealt with it where you have court cases that deal with Santeria and strange religions and, and Wicca and things like that. Um, and you don't really hear about that kind of stuff very often. I think last year at Halloween, Lobo and I covered uh, a case where two witches sued each other up in Salem, of all places. You know, and that's that's the only kind of stuff I ever really find like that. You really don't hear about this kind of stuff out in the law and these, these crazy cases that do happen. Oh, and it, it happens so, all the time. Just today, Beyonce got sued by one of her uh, former drummers saying that uh, she was working magic on, on her, some, some sex magic against her drummer. Oh yeah. We need to hear about this stuff. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that would be great. Well, uh, again, thank you, Winston. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and it's always great having you here. Thank you. The ever cool and vastly knowledgeable Winston Conrad. If you're interested in the stuff that he does, he does have a webpage. It is www.winstonconrad.com. I don't think his podcast is still out there running right now, but I know he's working on a comic book or two. He sent me some uh, stills from it and stuff. It looks pretty cool. But uh, having said all of that, we're going to move on. There is a, as I was, it was pointed out to me last week that there is now another Project Archivist Facebook page. It is not us. And if you are trying to join our Facebook page and you find it, look for the one that's got our mascot on it. It's got the guy holding the, the it's got the gas mask on. He's got the briefcase and the fedora hat. That's our mascot, Archie. Um, if you've joined the wrong page and myself and Lobo are not interacting on there as we do a lot, or you're not seeing a lot of strange news articles and stuff being posted, you're probably on the wrong page and you might want to find the actual correct page. I bring this up because this is going to be our last show before we have the Halloween episode, which lately traditionally has been a music oriented show. 
So I put a thing up in the Facebook page saying, hey, is is anybody interested in these shows? You still want me to do a music show or, you know, or do you want us to do something else or whatever? And a lot of people were like, yeah, we want to hear another music show. And how those work, if you've never heard one of our Halloween episodes, it's basically just a bunch of goofy or cool Halloween oriented music. And then in between every couple of songs, we'll, you know, we'll read some kind of a historically strange article or something like that. And, you know, and then that's pretty much what the whole show is, because this is my and Lobo's favorite time of the year. Halloween is our season. This is this is like what Christmas is to everybody else. This is what it is for us. Plus, it's the only time I get to dress up like a complete slut and nobody can judge me. <laughs> Moving on. But um, so, yeah, we're going to do that one. That'll be dropping right before Halloween. And uh, also, um, probably we're going to take a week off after that. And then we'll be back into the full swing of things. I've got a lot of guests lined up and from... Lobo and I have been talking. We're kind of getting tired of doing the whole stupid human tricks, uh, as as myself and Lobo like to call them, and just like comical-oriented shows. We kind of like to get back to the weirder side of things, so we're going to aim in that direction for a little while and see, see where that direction pulls us again. But uh, having said all of that, I'm going to close the show out with probably the best Halloween-oriented fall band that there is, which is Typo Negative, and I'm going to close the show out with Wolf Moan. Um, till then, everybody be safe, be cool, have fun, dress like a slut, eat lots of candy, and most importantly, be safe. Peace out, folks. This is Rojan from Detroit. Take it easy.